Hey, this is Tammy Rose of TranscendentalConquered.org, um, and this is the second part of spring. Um, because the weather had changed so rapidly from 20 degrees below zero to like 50 degrees, um, I'm definitely aware of the transition into spring from the deep freeze of winter. So Walden has ice and Henry talks about the ice. Um, and I also visit Walden. Um, I do a little bit of recording from inside the actual cabin. Um, I do some commentary and talk about what Walden means to me personally. Um, I also visit Brister's Woods and um, the Stonehenge sculpture that is kind of hidden. Um, and it's a cross route too in Brister's Woods. Um, and I do some recording from there. So this is a wide ranging episode um, as we're coming around the bend and finishing up. Um, I also dedicate this whole series to my parents who were the most generous um, people who brought me to Walden for the very first time. Um, and I encourage everybody to write their different versions of Walden and um, to visit this Walden and to find your own Walden. So come along. This is a big one. Spring, part two. Walden is melting apace. There is a canal two rods wide along the northerly and westerly sides and wider still at the east end. A great field of ice has cracked off from the main body. I hear a song sparrow singing from the bushes on the shore. Oi, 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 chip, 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 chichar, chiwish, chiwish, wish, wish. He too is helping to crack it. How handsome the great sweeping curves in the edge of the ice answering somewhat to those of the shore, but more regular. It is unusually hard, owing to the recent severe but transient cold and all watered or waved like a palace floor. But the wind slides eastward over its opaque surface in vain till it reaches the living surface beyond. It is glorious to behold this ribbon of water sparkling in the sun, the bare face of the pond full of glee and youth, as if it spoke the joy of the fishes within it and of the sands on its shore. A silvery sheen as from the scales of a leuciscus, as if it were all one active fish. Such is the contrast between winter and spring, Walden was dead and is alive again. But this spring it broke up more steadily, as I have said. The change from storm and winter to serene and mild weather, from dark and sluggish hours to bright and elastic ones, is a memorable crisis which all things proclaim. It is seemingly instantaneous at last. Suddenly an influx of light filled my house, Though the evening was at hand and the clouds of winter still overhung it and the eaves were dripping with sleety rain, I looked out the window and lo, where yesterday was cold gray ice, there lay the transparent pond already calm and full of hope as in a summer evening, reflecting a summer evening sky in its bosom, though none was visible overhead 
as if it had intelligence with some remote horizon. I heard a robin in the distance, the first I had heard for many a thousand years, methought, whose note I shall not forget for many a thousand more. The same sweet and powerful song as of yore. Oh, the evening robin at the end of a New England summer day. If I could ever find the twig he sits upon. I mean he, I mean the twig. This at least is not the turtus migratorius. The pitch pines and shrub oaks about my house, which had so long drooped, suddenly resumed their several characters, looked brighter, greener, and more erect and alive, as if effectually cleansed and restored by the rain. I know that I knew that it would not rain any more. You may tell by looking at any twig of the forest, I at your very woodpile, whether its winter is past or not. As it grew darker, I was startled by the honking of geese flying low over the woods, like weary travelers getting in late from southern lakes and indulging at last in unrestrained complaint and mutual consolation. Standing at my door, I could bear the rush of their wings. When driving toward my house, they suddenly spied my light and with hushed clamor wheeled and settled in the pond. So I came in and shut the door and passed my first spring night in the woods. In the morning, I watched the geese from the door through the mist, sailing in the middle of the pond, fifty rods off, so large and tumultuous that Walden appeared like an artificial pond for their amusement. But when I stood on the shore, they at once rose up with a great flapping of wings at the signal of their commander, and when they had got into rank, circled out about over my head, twenty-nine of them, and then steered straight to Canada with a regular honk from the leader at intervals, trusting to break their fast in muddier pools. A plump of ducks rose at the same time and took the route to the north in the wake of their noisier cousins. For a week I heard the circling, groping clangor of some solitary goose in the foggy mornings, seeking its companion, and still peopling the woods with the sound of a larger life than they could sustain. In April, the pigeons were seen again, flying express in small flocks, and in due time I heard the martins twittering over my clearing, though it had not seemed that the township contained so many that it could afford me any, and I fancied that they were peculiarly, peculiarly of the ancient race that dwelt in hollow trees ere white men came. In almost all climes, the tortoise and the frog are among the precursors and heralds of this season, and birds fly with song and great glancing plumage, <clears throat> and plants spring and bloom, and winds blow to correct this slight oscillation of the poles and preserve the equilibrium of nature. As every season seems best to us in its turn, so the coming in of the spring is like the creation of cosmos out of chaos and the realization of the golden age. Eris ad aurorum nebethed quae regna requesit, perdisaquae et radius juga subdita mautinis, maututinis. The east wind withdrew to Aurora and the Nebethian kingdom, and the Persian and the ridges placed under the morning rays. Man was born 
whether that artificer of things, the origin of a better world made him from the divine seed, or the earth being recent and lately sundered from the high ether retained some seeds or of cognate heaven. A single gentle rain makes the grass many shades greener, so our prospects brighten on the influx of better thoughts. We should be blessed if we lived in the present always and took advantage of every accident that befell us, like the grass which confesses the influence of the slightest dew that falls on it, and did not spend our time in atoning for the neglect of past opportunities, which we call doing our duty. We loiter in winter while it is already spring. In a pleasant spring morning, all men's sins are forgiven. Such a day is a truce to vice. While such a sun holds out to burn, the vilest sinner may return. Though our own recovered innocence, we discern the innocence of our neighbors. You may have known your neighbor yesterday for a thief, a drunkard, or a sensualist, and merely pitied or despised him, and despaired of the world. But the sun shines bright and warm this first spring morning, recreating the world, and you meet him at some serene work, and see how his exhausted and debauched veins expand with still joy and bless the new day. Feel the spring influence with the innocence of infancy, and all his faults are forgotten. There is not only an atmosphere of goodwill about him, but even a savior of holiness groping for expression, blindly and ineffectually perhaps, like a newborn instinct. And for a short hour, the south hillside echoes to no vulgar jest. You see some innocent fair shoots preparing to burst from his gnarled rind and try another year's life, tender and fresh as the youngest plant. Even he has entered into the joy of his Lord. Why the jailer does not leave open his prison doors, why the judge does not dismiss his case, why the preacher does not dismiss his congregation, it is because they do not obey the hint which God gives them, nor accept the pardon which he freely offers to all. A return to goodness produced each day in the tranquil and beneficent breath of the morning causes that in respect to the love of virtue and the hatred of vice, one approaches a little the primitive nature of man as the sprouts of the forest which has been felled. In like manner, the evil which one, which one does in the interval of a day prevents the germs of virtues which began to spring up again from developing themselves and destroys them. After the germs of virtue have thus been prevented many times from developing themselves, then the beneficent breath of evening does not suffice to preserve them. As soon as the breath of evening does not suffice longer to preserve them, then the nature of man does not suffer much from that of the brute. Men seeing the nature of this man, like that of the brute, think that he has never possessed the innate faculty of reason. Are those the true and natural sentiments of man? 
the golden age was first created, which without any avenger, spontaneously, without law, cherished fidelity and rectitude. Punishment and fear were not, nor were threatening words read on suspended brass, nor did the suppliant crowd fear the words of their judge, but were safe without an avenger. Not yet the pine felled on its mountains had descended to the liquid waves that it might see a foreign world, and mortals knew no shores but their own. There was eternal spring, and placid zephyrs with warm blast soothed the flowers born without seed. On the 29th of April, as I was fishing from the bank of the river near the nine-acre corner bridge, Standing on the quaking grass and willow roots where the muskrats lurk, I heard a singular rattling sound, somewhat like that of the sticks which boys play with their fingers. When looking up, I observed a very slight and graceful hawk, like a night hawk, alternately soaring like a ripple and tumbling a rod or two over and over, showing, showing the underside of its wings which gleamed like satin ribbon in the sun or like a pearly inside of a shell. This sight reminded me of falconry and what nobleness and poetry are associated with that sport. The Merlin, it seemed to me, it might be called, but I care not for its name. It was the most ethereal flight I had ever witnessed. It did not simply flutter like a butterfly, nor soar like the larger hawks, but it sported with proud reliance in the fields of air, mounting again and again with its strange chuckle. It repeated its free and beautiful fall, turning over and over like a kite, and then recovering from its lofty tumbling, as if it had never set its foot on terra firma. It appeared to have no companion in the universe, sporting there alone, and to need none but the morning and the ether with which it played. It was not lonely, but made all the earth lonely beneath it. Where was the parent which hatched it, its kindred and its father in the heavens? The tenant of the air, it seemed, related to the earth, but by an egg hatched sometime in the crevice of a crag. Or was its native nest made in the angle of a cloud, woven of the rainbow's trimmings and the sunset sky, and lined with some soft midsummer haze caught up from earth? Its airy, now some cliffy cloud. Beside this, I got a rare mess of golden and silver and bright cupreous fishes, which looked like a string of jewels. Ah, I have penetrated to those meadows on the morning of many a first spring day, jumping from hummock to hummock, from willow root to willow root, when the wild river valley and the woods were bathed in so pure and bright a light as would have waked the dead if they had been slumbering in their graves, as some suppose. There need no stronger proof of immortality. All things much l must live in such a light. O oh, death, where was thy sting? O oh, grave, where was thy victory then? Our village life would stagnate if it were not for the unexplored forests and meadows which surround it. We need the tonic of wildness to wade sometimes in marshes where the bittern and the meadow hen lurk and hear the booming of the snipe, to smell the whispering sedge where only some wilder and more solitary fowl builds her nest and the mink crawls with its belly close to the ground. 
at the same time that we are earnest to explore and learn all things, we require that all things be mysterious and unexplorable, that land and sea be infinitely wild, unsurveyed and unfathomed by us because unfathomable. We can never have enough of nature. We must be refreshed by the sight of inexhaustible vigor, vast and titanic features, the sea coast with its wrecks, the wilderness with its living and its decaying trees, the thundercloud and the rain which lasts three weeks and produces freshets. We need to witness our own limits transgressed and some life pasturing freely where we never wander. We are cheered when we observe the vulture feeding on the carrion, which disgusts and disheartens us, and deriving health and strength from the repast. There was a dead horse in the hollow by the path to my house, which compelled me sometimes to go out of my way, especially in the night when the air was heavy, but the assurance it gave me of the strong appetite and inviolable health of nature was my compensation for this. I love to see that nature is so rife with life that myriads can be afforded to be sacrificed and suffered to prey on one another, that tender organizations can be so serenely squashed out of existence like pulp, tadpoles which herons gobble up, and tortoises and toads run over in the road, and that sometimes it has rained flesh and blood with the liability to accident. We must, we must see how little account is to be made of it. The impression made on a wise man is that of universal innocence. Poison is not poisonous after all, nor are any wounds fatal. Compassion is a very untenable ground. It must be expeditious. Its pleadings will not bear to be stereotyped. Early in May... The oaks, hickories, maples, and other trees, just putting out amidst the pine woods around the pond, imparted a brightness like sunshine to the landscape, especially in cloudy days, as if the sun were breaking through mists and shining faintly on the hillsides here and there. On the 3rd or 4th of May, I saw a loon in the pond, and during the first week of the month, I heard the whippoorwill, the brown thrasher, the veery, the wood peewee, the chewink, and other birds. I had heard the wood thrush long before. The phoebe had already come once more and looked in at my door and window to see if my house were cavern-like enough for her, sustaining herself on humming winds with clinched talons as if she held by the air while she surveyed the premises. The sulfur-like pollen of the pitch pine soon covered the pond and stones and rotten wood along the shores so that you could have collected a barrel full. This is the sulfur showers we hear of. Even in Kalidas' dream of Sakuntala, we read of rills dyed yellow with the golden dust of the lotus. And so the seasons went rolling on into the summer, as one rambles into higher and higher grass. Thus was my first year's life in the woods completed, and the second year was similar to it. I finally left Walden, September 6th, 1847. So I just read um, the second part of Spring, 
And I just wanted to call out a few um, quick things, especially in that last, the last paragraph or the second to last paragraph, um, where he says, on the third or fourth of May, I saw a loon in the pond. And during the first week of the month, I heard the whippoorwill, the brown thrasher, the veery, the wood peewee, the chewink, and other birds. I had heard the wood thrush long before. The wood thrush was his favorite bird. Um, but the the significance of him mentioning the 3rd or 4th of May, he would um, pass away, like, I guess, 15, less than 15 years later, 15 years later. If, if he's talking about... Um, 1847, he would pass away on um, May 6th of 1862. And I always think about the seasons and it's, it's one of those funny things. Like if you're, if you're on your deathbed, I suppose the seasons don't really matter to you necessarily. Um, Or maybe they, maybe it's a, a very crucial thing. Um, but I would, I would hope that, um, you know, in his last days that he did hear the whippoorwill, um, you know, and the, the wood thrush, um, a lot of the spring chapter is really just beautiful. And he's talking about, um, I, I think he has some of the most beautiful imagery that we've had, you know, he's been, he's been kind of stuck on the whole idea of ice for quite a long time but now he gets to talk about the birds and the geese and the fishes um the the fishes which look like a string of jewels right like that's the the color thing that we were talking about before that I was talking about before um a few chapters ago when he's like um he's talking about the perch where it's so beautiful um and so as I was reading it, I was also thinking about um, my, um, so I've been, I, as, I, as I've mentioned, I have been doing this project for, the intention is two years, two months, and two days. And it looks like that's pretty much where I'm going to land. Um, and in that time, <coughs> I've lost my mother. And I actually had her read in Portuguese in one of the earlier chapters. Um, And it was, you know, one of those very emotional and very hard things um, that happened in life. I I started, (laughs) I started doing this podcast, I think I've said before, sitting in the car waiting for my mom to do her doctor's appointments. Um, She had cancer and and uh, she was 80 and a half when she died. So she lived a, a nice long life. And I really do believe that she was ready for it. Um, and in her last year, she was like, I don't recognize my body. I want a new body. And she believed in reincarnation. Um, and she was from a tiny island in the middle of the Atlantic, uh, one of the Azores, and um, grew up very close to nature. So, you know, I've I feel like in spring, I keep, you know, I would keep seeing her every time, you know, my friends and I would talk about her and like a butterfly would show up and it, you know, or, um, right after, right after she passed away, I had a a violet plant that 
really had never bloomed and suddenly it bloomed like in the you know five years that I've had it or however long like it's 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 one of those things where you see all these all these images of life and spring and even if they're not even if it's not literally her spirit like being transformed into a flower or a butterfly or you know a, a hawk or whatever um it's it's this amazing feeling of recognizing a beautiful version of life and the robustness of life and um my father passed away when i was young i was 11 and you know barely a child and and um it immediately plunged me into a depression where um I like I had been in touch with the seasons before that like he had he loved to walk in the forest near my house we would go out for walks you know every weekend and he would take me to Walden and he would take me around to the historical societies and all of that and after he passed away um you know because of the depression everything just sort of turned gray and I felt like I couldn't really notice anything because I was so weighed down by my grief and I, I couldn't even articulate it at the time, but it took, it literally took a few years. And then I noticed that spring was happening. And when I was noticing it, it that spring was happening and it really felt like spring hadn't happened for two years. Um, and that, you know, the summer was more vivid and then even in the autumn the leaves changing um it really felt like like nature had been frozen to me during that grief when I was um really in a like I said a deep depression about my father and grief is this weird thing because it's not just depression it's anger it's it dulls your senses like it does all of these very weird things to you psychologically. So, um, like, and I, I feel like this really relates to, um, Thoreau going to the cabin because his brother had died in 42 and he gets to the cabin in 45. So it's like, he's had the, the, the years, uh, you know, I'm, I'm putting my emotions on him, but I, but this is, this is one of the ways that I interpret Walden that, he had gone through his deepest um, period of grief and, you know, he, you're sort of emerging on the other side and you're like, well, you know, what, what do I do with this and how do I interpret it? Um, and the, the fact that he could go, you know, like Walden was this writing cabin, right? Walden was this escape you know people talk about him as a hermit and you know he doesn't want society blah 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 I don't think it was that at all I think it was that he just wanted quiet and um you know his his mother was was renting out rooms and his household was always you know full of um chatter and excitement and whatever and that's hard for a writer of course so I get that he wanted to go to the cabin um and also he had he had sort of you know, been processing his grief with his brother, but his, 
you know, if, if he was going through the same thing as me, like his senses were now more awakened to, um, you know, to, for him to be open to, to witness the changes of the season and to not be so caught up in himself. He was sort of able to put himself in a, in a new position, um, physically, um, to, to sort of reanalyze the world from a different emotional place. Um, and so to get back to me and why I'm doing this project and all of that, like when I started this, I had a mother and now I, you know, I still have a mother, but she's on the other side or whatever. I feel like she has, um, I really feel like I, this project is, is completely dedicated to her because, um, like my father was the first person to bring us to Walden. Um, we, we went around Walden as soon as they discovered they were pregnant with me. Um, but my mother and I kept returning to Walden to sort of, um, you know, celebrate his memory. And it was just a comfortable place, like not even doing it consciously, just sort of like, this was a lovely place that we had as a family of three. And then when we became a family of two, we still would go to Walden and it felt like Walden was, um, another part of the family. Sorry. I, um, I was at Walden yesterday in the, in the rain, in the cold, and I recorded, um, a segment on the beach and I don't, um, because, because Walden is, uh, a kettle hole, um, doesn't have good reception and I think I might've lost the recording. Um, but it was just really beautiful to be down there on the beach thinking of, um, how wonderful Walden has been. It's been a witness for me my entire life. It's been a witness to my father and my mother, um, and to Henry and, all the other transcendentalists, like, and like everybody in Concord, like it's a, it's a, it's a place where I think everybody in Concord goes at least once in their life to just sort of hang out, even if it doesn't mean a lot to them. It's just, it's a beautiful place. So it's, it's kind of inconceivable to me that, that all of the, the people who are visiting Concord, um, you know, most of them probably went to, to Walden to just, um, to just see it and hang out and to just enjoy it as a really beautiful, um, beautiful place for contemplation or to just go have fun and swim and put your feet in the water and, you know, skip stones or, um, like, you know, or bird watch or to just go hiking or like whatever, like everybody has a, everybody has a different experience of Walden. And I feel like what I ask, the universe <laughs> for everybody to do their own version of Walden. It's because I have this great love for Walden itself. Like <laughs> I realize the last episode is going to drop on um, February 14th. Cause that's two years, two months and two days. Um, but yeah, it's Valentine, it's Valentine's day. And that's, um, it's a, it's a special date to me. Cause I feel like I I'm in love with Walden itself. Or I have, you know, this, this deep relationship to Walden um, in ways that I can't fully articulate or put into words or just words don't describe it, right? It's not a romantic relationship. It's just like, I, it's my happy place. I feel very much at home there. 
Um, I love it so much that I want to share it with the world. And I sort of feel like Henry was using it in that, in a similar way too. Um, I think he had a lot to say very specifically, but I still feel like the book doesn't capture the, all of the things, all, you know, there's a song, all the things you are. Um, and it's like, there's, it's like, there's, there's, um, it's so many different things that it can hold, you know, a million books about it. And right now I feel like there's, there's Henry's book and then there's all these commentaries on Henry's book and how to, how to read it. And like, there's this, you know, it's like, this is what, how I think that, um, that I can hopefully help other people, um, get into the book and understand the meaning of the place. Um, because when I was a kid, like I, I understood that it was a pond, that it had lovely woods around it, but I didn't understand the history and I didn't understand the biology and the flora and the fauna and, you know, the people and like, there's so many things around it. Um, and I wish I had had a podcast like this. And I feel like I've been sort of talking to my 14 year old self, the one who had come out on the other side of the grief and was sort of ready to, um, listen to, um, you know, was open to the world, ready to listen about and learn more about history and um, the layers. That's the thing. I really feel like Walden is layered and multimedia and, you know, multidimensional. Um, You know, it's, I, I, I used to joke that Walden is one of the first books that was multimedia because it was created on paper but it's also sort of created to be an experience that you know where you walk through the forest and you get in the water and you feel the sand between your toes and you feel the ice and you you know all of these it's a multi-sensory book um, in ways that other books really are not Um, and I really hope that I really hope that my love has been um, communicated to anybody who's listening and that you find your own Walden, you find your own happy place. And I hope that it helps you to process your own grief and to know that, um, coming out on the other side, life can be really, really beautiful. And, um, even when you've lost people, that if you have shared a beautiful place like Walden with them, that they're never really lost. So I hope that you, uh, that you can feel them. Like I can feel my father, like I can feel my mother, um, like I feel Henry and all of the other transcendentalists and people before them and people after them and um and all of that so thank you very much to uh alvin and fatima my parents for bringing me there in the first place this whole podcast is dedicated to them and to you go write your book see you on the next episode hello Um, so I am doing something extra special right now. 
Um, I'm actually walking around Brister's Hill, um, which is the other side of Route 2, if you visit Walden. Um, yes, in fact, if you're visiting and you drive by Walden on your way towards the center of Concord, um, you'll stop at a red light, like I mentioned, and the uh, waste treatment plant will be on your right. Uh, go through the lights, cross Route 2, and you'll notice there's a little handicapped parking area that has like two spots. Keep going. Um, and then there's a little bit, um, you'll see the high school on your left, and then a larger parking lot, maybe like 15 spots or something. And park there and do the walk that I have been doing today, um, which is uh, go into the forest and walk for about five or ten minutes until you reach Fairyland Pond. And you will be on the Emerson Thoreau Ramble, or I always call it the Thoreau Emerson Ramble. Um, and walk around, I would say, walk clockwise around the pond. You're going to be tempted to go off because there are, um, like there's a bunch of benches where you can actually just sit and relax before you completely go around the pond. Um, and there are several paths that you're welcome to take. The first path, which sort of makes it feel like um, you're not curving around the pond at all, that you're just kind of going straight from the parking lot. If you go on that path and there's a giant stone, it's about the side, height of a human, um, and that says, this forest is named after Hapgood Wright, who was born in 1811. Um, I, I don't know that Thoreau ever contacted him, um, but it's interesting that he was born in Concord around six years before Thoreau. Um, anyway, if you keep going straight on that path, you'll um, actually hit Emerson's house eventually, I think in a mile or two. Um, but don't go that way. Keep going around the pond. Um, there is another turnoff where if you're interested in seeing the great grandmother tree, it is a giant pine tree. And that's like 10 minutes off of that um, branch, the, like the next left turn as you're circling around the pond. Um, and, but you could do what I did where you go, I guess it's about three quarters of the way around the pond. No, maybe even more than that, like five, six of the way around the pond. And there is, um, a spring and it's called Brister's spring. Um, if you were to go right, you can see the path where you came on. Um, and there's a, <laughs> it's always a surprise, um, because sometimes the beavers have created so much of a dam that, you know, there's a little tiny little, you know, wood bridge that's sort of made up of two by fours. And sometimes it's dried out and you can cross very easily. And sometimes it's practically in the water and you're practically walking through the water as you go. Um, but again, don't, don't go back to your car, which is what I was, I thought I was going to do today. Um, instead turn left at that spring at Brister's spring and sort of meander up the path that will take you a little bit up a hill um, and further into the forest. Um, you can look on all trails if you're sort of scared about wandering the paths. Um, but keep going, keep going. 
and eventually you're gonna find sort of it's it's Brister's Hill it's Brister's area and Walden Woods has actually created um, a whole bunch of art like carved into stone and um, especially Thoreau's words carved into stone in a way that it almost looks like it's old railroad tracks or something um, but it's like three three parallel stone things right so it's not like a full set of railroad tracks it's sort of like these weird like not found in nature parallel things that are maybe two or three feet or four feet varying in length um, that have a bunch of his quotes um, and there's an area where it's a bunch of quotes actually from secession the secession of um of forest plants i think is the name of the essay that eventually got published um, where he talks about um, pines being the first to take over a forest and then um, maybe birches, I think, and then oaks. Um, anyway, read it because obviously I don't know what I'm talking about um, and I'm just going off of memory. I think maybe I read it 10 years ago. I have it somewhere. Um, anyway, keep walking, keep walking. And there is a very cool contemplative circle um, and I should post, like, I would post a link if they had a link, but I think this was designed maybe in the nineties <laughs> before they realized that they should actually, um, help people to find all these marvelous things. Um, cause it really does feel like this, um, uh, a bunch of, how can I put this? It's a circle of blocks, stone blocks, um, maybe 40 feet across, 30 feet across. Um, I was going to say it feels like Stonehenge a little bit because you're, you're walking in the forest and you're like, oh, how did this clearly man-made thing suddenly appear? And it's not a complete circle. It's sort of broken up and it's funny, as you start walking around, um, there are quotes. So I shall read you the quotes as far as I can read them. Um, so I entered the circle and I went right. And the first quote we have is, What is faith if it is not translated into action? By Mohandas K. Gandhi. I'm going to try to go fast because there are a lot of quotes. Um, the second quote is, I only went out for a walk and finally concluded to stay out till sundown for going out I found was really going in by John Muir. I think that is the original version of a quote that is often misattributed to Thoreau. Um, I went to the woods and I came out taller than when I went in. He never said that. Um, but I, you know, I get the meaning. And I think those two quotes are similar. All right. So this next quote, the third quote is Emily Dickinson. And I will say right now that um, there are a bunch of those cute little stone um, um, piles that people make. Um, sometimes people hate that because it's disturbing nature, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I've even heard that some people will knock them down. Um, I think at this point, like, I feel like they were trendy like, you know, 
10 years ago, maybe I first started seeing them and they were only done by hippies and people who did yoga and people who were trying to like indicate that they had been here and they're in touch with the earth and blah, blah, blah. And now I feel like this is something that kids do or or teenagers or something. And especially because it's on Emily Dickinson's stones and no other stones, I will, um, I will at least say that it's an Emily Dickinson fan. Um, there are four large piles and, uh, two small piles and all of them have like three rocks on them. It's very cute actually. Some keep the Sabbath going to church. I keep it staying at home with a bobolink for a chorister and an orchard for a dome. God preaches a noted clergyman and the sermon is never long. So instead of getting to heaven, at last I'm going all along. I love Emily. All right, Emerson coming up. The country knows not yet, or in the least part, how great a son it has lost. His soul was made for the noblest society. Wherever there is knowledge, wherever there is virtue, wherever there is beauty, he will find a home. Um, I want to say that's from his eulogy for Thoreau. And uh, a nice little note, I will say there is a pine needle in the word made. His soul was made the noblest society aha now we have these next stones say henry david thoreau and i have to walk to find the beginning of this quote because he of course gets the he's going to get the most stones one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen sixteen yeah like twenty something like that all right could a greater miracle take place than for us to look through each other's eyes for an instant? Yeah, I feel like I feel like we're we're in kind of the opposite of Times Square. But if we were in Times Square and we were seeing what is it, the Chiron going around the building? Like, that's the quote. That's his quote that he would, you know, that he'd be like, pay attention. This is it. This is the thing that I want to, this is the thing I want to communicate. Aha, and here's some stones that don't have any carvings. All right. Ooh, Edward O. Wilson. Um, I believe he just passed away. He wrote a book about ants and he was... Concord resident, um, very loyal about preserving Thoreau's legacy. And here's his, this is kind of a letter. Henry, you searched for essence at Walden and whether successful in your own mind or not, you hit upon an ethic with a solid feel to it. Nature is ours to explore forever. It is our crucible and refuge. It is our natural home. It is all these things. Save it, you said. In wildness is the preservation of the world. Surely our stewardship is its only hope. We will be wise to listen carefully to the heart, then act with a rational intention and all the tools we can gather and bring to bear. Affectionately yours, Edward. Aw, Edward O. Wilson. 
yep. Um, like, whether successful in your own mind or not. Oh, poor guy. I wish, Henry, I wish that you could, like, I don't know, not have the insecurities that we all have as humans. Yeah, that. Uh, um, also, uh, notice the quote, in wildness is the preservation of the world. It's not in wilderness, as some people might say. Um, if you ever see a bumper sticker that says, in wilderness is the preservation of the world, beware, it is wrong. Ah, uh, okay, Martin Luther King Jr., a freedom ride into Mississippi, a peaceful protest in Albany, Georgia, are outgrowths of Thoreau's insistence that evil must be resisted and that no moral man can patiently adjust to injustice. All right, so I am a member of the Arts Committee for the Concord 250th celebration that's going to happen in 2025. And I will have you know that there was a lovely gentleman today, his name is Sam, who was representing, I want to make sure I get the, the initials right, CPO, which is the Concord Prison Outreach, um, because there is a prison in Concord, a large prison, that Malcolm X was was at for a while. Like, I just learned that today. I'm very excited. Um, so Sam is a poet, an artist, and he was telling me how he's bringing... Um, yoga to the prisoners and um, all sorts of things. Sam's African-American and he um, he recited a poem to me about, that he wrote about his, um, that he wrote writing to his father who he had never met. Um, and it was beautiful. It's in heart-wrenching. And the whole idea of like, how can you keep your soul and spirit free when you are imprisoned is huge. Um, and so I love that. I love that Martin Luther King Jr. is here. Peaceful protest. Um, I'm recording this, um, right after the Tyree Nichols video has been released. I didn't watch it. Um, we, Sam and I also discussed police brutality and, like all sorts of th like the, how could I put the news has not been good um and it's it's really hard we're still in the shadow of uh George Floyd's injustice his murder um that we haven't figured out really how to address as a nation um take note that George Floyd was murdered on Emerson's birthday by the way I feel like there's some kind of there's some kind of uh I don't know if it's not karmic justice, but like there's there's a connection there that I want to underline because it's, you know, we're as historians, we're not just about celebrating the birthdays of the dead, but we're about like recognizing milestones in human growth. Um, and a lot of it feels like we're going backwards in lots of ways. But I feel like um, and also the the whole idea of like the arc of justice or the the arc of I'm, I'm gonna screw up the quote but the quote comes from a minister in uh from lexington uh whose name i can't remember starts with a th i think uh, stuff like this kills me this is why i'm not a tour guide because i always forget people's names um anyway that quote 
was something that Martin Luther King echoed, and it was on Barack Obama's um, carpet. He had it engraved, or like embroidered in the carpet that he had in the Oval Office in the White House. Um, so that comes from a transcendentalist. Theodore. Ugh. Anyway, I will look it up. I'll, I'll probably, as soon as I stop recording, I will probably think of it. Um, but anyway, he was a transcendentalist, so that was a, a something that was echoed among the transcendentalists and um, has echoed down the years. All right, let's move on. This is Wendell Berry, the poem, the poet. We had lived by the assumptions that what was good for us would be good for the world. Ugh, we've been wrong. We must change our lives so that it will be possible to live by the contrary assumption that what is good for the world will be good for us. And that requires that we make the efforts to know the world and to learn what is good for it. We must learn to cooperate in its processes and to yield to its limits. For I do not doubt that it is only on the condition of humility and reverence before the world that our species will be able to remain in it. True. Um, yeah, I think, I think a lot of Thoreau's um, writing and realization is sort of like, hey guys, stop cutting trees down. Stop using the world as like your larder. Like stop just... Um, you know, stop assuming that, that, uh, the wealth of a country can be measured on its, by its quote unquote, like natural resources that can be turned into money. Yeah. All right. John F. Kennedy. It is our task in our time and in our generation to hand down undiminished, undiminished, to those who come after us, as was handed down to us by those who went before, the natural wealth and beauty which is ours. To do this will require constant attention and vigilance, sustained vigor and imagination. Yep. Um, so I keep in my mind, especially when you're, especially when you're walking in a forest, it's so, I feel like it's much easier to feel like you're time traveling because, you know, for the most part, like if a land has been undeveloped, then hopefully it'll kind of stay that way. Um, and if you're in a forest, like, unless it's something like Central Park, which is like very carefully planned and sculpted and whatever, you can know that at least this has been a forest, maybe not the same forest. And maybe there was a farm, <laughs> you know, maybe everything was cleared in between. Um, but if there were no buildings or whatever, um, and if there are no roads directly through it. So the area that I'm walking now is sort of this, this Brister's Hill area, um, is highly recommended because it does feel like this is the, um, not completely unspoiled and the trees are not perhaps as tall, um, in this area, especially not this area. And I don't know why. And I don't like, there's, there are signs that say like, please don't go off the path because this is, um, conserved area. So, um, but like the pine trees don't seem to be that old. And, um, I feel like I'm walking around, um, like Cape Cod. There's a lot of sandy oil, uh, sandy soil, um, in Cape Cod and it's a lot of pine trees. Um, so, um, yeah. So John F. Kennedy is like, yeah, we should, we should be able to hand down what we got. And when I try to think of this area, 
in the 1940s compared to where it is now, like 80 some years later. Um, or, or when was Kennedy born? Probably 30s, 20s, something like that. He was young enough to, to participate in World War II. So, all right, let's move on to Rachel Carson. There is symbolic as well as actual beauty in the migration of the birds, the ebb and flow of the tides, the folded bud ready for the spring. There is something infinitely healing in the repeated refrains of nature, the assurance that dawn comes after night and spring after the winter. Yes. Um, So it's so funny. So this is the spring chapter, right? And it's like 40 degrees and sunny and it feels like it should be March or April. Um, still early February, and last weekend was 20 below zero. So I'm very, <laughs> very sensitive to this. All right. Can you hear the wind? I don't know if you could hear that, but it just sounded, it sounded really lovely. Chief Luther Standing Bear. The old Lakota was wise. He knew that man's heart away from nature becomes hard. True. He knew that lack of respect for growing living things soon led to lack of respect for humans, too. Wow. All right. And the last, the last quote, or maybe it's the first quote, if you were to go clockwise around, I went counterclockwise. I went counterclockwise. That land is a community, is the basic concept of ecology, but that land is to be loved and respected is an extension of ethics. Aldo Leopold. Yes. So, um, here I am on a really lovely, super early spring day, um, wandering around in the forests of Concord. Um, And so again, I shall echo. Um, I'm here in a forest. Um, and I'll, let me echo Thoreau's sentiment of getting out there into the world and seeing things through the eyes of another. Um, and I'm going to walk back towards where Brister lived. Um, and there's, a, there's another quote engraved on a stone um, about Thoreau as he's talking about Brister in Former Inhabitants. Um, so, so yeah, go for a walk. Take care. Bye. Hello. This is Tammy Rose. And if my voice sounds a little different, it's because I am speaking to you from the inside of Henry David Thoreau's cabin. The replica, anyway. Um, The replica is up by the parking lot. So when you come to visit um, and you are walking towards Walden and you find the crosswalk because you park across the street from it. Um, Make sure that you're looking to your right. You'll see the tiny little cabin and you will see the statue um, that's a little smaller than life size. So don't assume that Henry was very small because he he was I'm like I think I'm normal height so he was normal height. Um, I think he was around 5'10", something like that. Anyway, um, I just wanted to 
uh, to sort of talk to you from the actual um, architectural recreation of what the cabin is. And so let me at least explain to you what is here. I'm actually sitting at a replica of his green desk, which you can find on the Concord Museum website. They have the original. Um, there is a chair I'm sitting in and another chair and another chair. Uh, so there's a chair by the window. Um, and then there's another chair by the fireplace. Um, three chairs for company, as he said. Um, <laughs> there is, I'm not sure that he necessarily had this. Um, there is a giant, uh, um, box for uh, wood for the because there is a wood stove um, and the wood stove kind of juts out into the room um, so I I definitely understand him um, missing the fire you can always find a face in the fire um, and there is a brick um, that was actually found at his original foundation um, that's embedded um, in the um, in the fireplace mantle here in the reconstruction. Um, also, so the walls are plastered. I'm not sure that he plastered his walls. Um, back to that construction chapter of, you know, how he was building everything. Um, like the walls are, are white. Um, and I guess that also provides a little insulation. Um, the door is open, so it's kind of cold. Um, there is a... Uh, uh, door in the in the floor um, that is sort of like for the root cellar. Um, I've never seen it opened, but I'm assuming that that's part of the recreation aspect of it. Um, this this replica has been here probably since the 90s. I remember definitely as a younger kid, probably a young teenager. Um, like literally every time we come to Walden, we visit this if it's especially if it's open. Um, you can peer in at the windows if it's not, um, but usually the door is open. Like, I'm here in February, and they left the door open just so people can meditate, and random people like me can record part of their podcast. Um, but, uh, you know, so I would come with my friends, and I remember when I was a kid, I was like, oh, my God, this is so small. You know, it's like a small room of, like, if you have a house, like any normal house, this would be a small-ish room. And there's, there's also a single bed right under the other window opposite me um and there's a table and then there's like a broom in the corner and like there's nowhere to hide <laughs> essentially right like where did he keep clothes where did he keep food where did he keep like his books and stuff he probably had a bookcase or something with him but like it's it's small enough so that any kind of boxes or any other furniture are kind of obtrusive so when I was a kid, I was like, oh my God, it's so small. And then I moved to New York <laughs> and I had a bedroom in a three bedroom and I understood what it was like to live in a really small location. Um, there are people walking around outside um, and, um, you know, there are, there are people here. Like, it's not like it's completely deserted. There are people in the, I was just in the visitor center and the, the bookshop, Richard Smith is working today. Um, if you are a fan of Richard Smith, I probably should have mentioned this earlier, I did a uh, YouTube series with him where we would talk to people and interview somebody new every week. Um, that's called Concord Days, and you can find that on the website um, Conquer, transcendentalconcord.com or .org. 
um, look for Concord Days. Or you can just Google it on YouTube, um, Concord Days. We, have a, we had a series. Um, we still sort of have a series. I haven't done one for a while. Um, but I think we have like 38 episodes, like a whole bunch. Um, and yeah, so like there are a lot of history nerds here in Concord. Um, and he's one of them and he works at the bookshop and you know, you should, if you're ever here, you should talk to people at the bookshop. They're awesome. Hi, come on in. Don't mind me. Okay. All right. Hang on. Yeah. So people came in and I, uh, we had a nice little chat. Like, um, there's a whole idea of being an honest pilgrim of just coming over here and sort of figuring out what, uh, you know, why people are coming, why people would come in February, why people um, would come for a hike, and uh, why people are interested in coming to see this funny little house replica. Um, my voice is echoing, too, and I wanted to talk about um, the ceiling is not plastered, so you just see the wood, um, and there are two giant um, logs with bark. I don't know... Um, again, like, I don't know how accurate all of this was intended as like a, a, for this original construction in the nineties. I know that there were a lot of people who were very strict about how you build a cabin and this is how you do it. And this is how Henry did it. And there's a, there's also a door in the ceiling as well. That's interesting. So I guess for more storage. And now that I'm looking at the bed and the bed frame, there's a box underneath the bed. So, like, that's also another place to keep storage. Um, I don't know if I had told this story, but um, if you go to the Concord Museum, um, there are, you know, there's the original desk and the original bed frame that Henry had created. And, like, the bed has, it's sort of like a mattress of straw. Um, and there are two of them, two mattresses. And the the webbing, the part that's actually holding up the bed, that's also... Um, I guess this this uh, woven straw mat, and I think he took the frame and he he put um, legs on it. So when I was a kid, my mother and I went to the Concord Museum, and she knew that I was already like I was probably fourteen, and she knew that I was already like hooked on the transcendentalists, and I was totally a nerd and went on. So uh, you know we're we're standing in front of this exhibit, and um, it, you know, and I'm I'm so excited. <laughs> like more excited than a 14 year old probably should be to see like a piece of antique, um, you know, like the, an old bed frame and an old desk and all of this, like all these relics of like a great writer, you know, and she, my mother saw that and, um, she, she came from a Roman Catholic background with a whole tradition of relics and the understanding of relics. Um, and she prayed, she, she, you know, she's like, if, if, uh, Thoreau has any connection, please help guide my daughter. Um, and she told me this and I like, I laughed, you know, I was kind of like, I'm this cynical American, whatever. And she's Portuguese, like from the Azores, old fashioned traditions. She's a modern woman, but I think there's a lot of like, my father died when I was young too. So it's sort of like, you know, what are the what are the ghosts or the spirits or, you know, religion? It's sort of like you half believe it, you half don't. You, you, you want to think that somebody is out there helping you, guiding you, 
you know, and, and just having that understanding and that belief helps you treat something as sacred and then, you know, respect it in ways that you might not have honored it throughout your life. So I feel like there's a, there's a certain sacredness that Walden has had for me personally, um, as a kid and like my mother and I being able to come here, like this was the place my father had brought us and he died when I was 11 and it was, yeah, I live in Waltham. It's 20 minutes away. You know, it was easy for us to come here. It's an easy drive. Um, it's a wonderful place to come in the summer and it's a nice place to walk around in the winter and it's, it's my happy place. And I just, I have a lot of sentimental attachment to it outside of the intellectual attachment and outside of the transcendentalists. And, um, I think that, that like Thoreau also had, uh, you know, an emotional attachment to it that he doesn't really talk about, I think enough, you know, like he should just admit to it a little bit more. Cause he was here. One of his earliest memories was coming here when he was like a kid, you know, like four or five or whatever. Um, and playing in the water. And I feel like that's such a pure elemental memory and just coming to Walden. Um, and I'm, I'm going to take you down to the beach so we can also, um, I can philosophize while I'm down on the beach, um, as well until I get cold enough that I need to go back in. Um, and you can probably hear the traffic, right? This is like 126. The replica is not, you know, off in the distance. It's definitely not as quiet of a place, um, as the actual cabin. Um, and even today, like when you go to the side of the actual cabin, it's a really lovely space and there are, um, there's carved marble around it or not marble, but carved stone that I think Henry would not have approved of because he prefers the natural look and all of these things. Um, uh, Richard, Richard Thorson did a, a tour where he was like, Henry would hate this. Um, and I really feel like that's, that's what I love about the Thoreauvian brotherhood and sisterhood. Like everybody has a different take on Thoreau and, um, and reasons why they think Thoreau would have an emotional response to something. And like I, after years of watching this, it's not so much that people even want to put something specifically on Thoreau, but it's like they're relating to somebody who's been dead for like 150 years or whatever. Right. It's like, how how are you connecting to somebody outside of your own time? Um, you know, just because he wrote these really eloquent words that you really resonate with. Um, so anyway, that was that was me admitting my my mother's sacred vow um, on. Thoreau's original um, furniture and relics and I you know I'm sort of superstitious I sort of believe that it's a little I don't know that it's it's true I believe everything's connected and I believe that we influence each other and ourselves and um, Walden has become a very sacred place for me it's my happy place it's it's my it's my comfort place um and it's really wonderful and I'm I'm so I'm so honored to have it in my life. And I I think one of the reasons I wanted to create this podcast was to share it with people. So 
I hope that you are also enjoying um, these travels and sharing. And here, it's actually started to rain. I don't know how long my trip on the beach is going to be. Can you hear that? All right, so now I'm outside. Um, you can hear the rain. It's a really light rain. It's falling, um, hitting the dead leaves. I think that's sort of making the most noise. Um, <laughs> the, the cabin replica, one side of the roof is covered, covered in moss, which is really beautiful. I'm not sure how much all of the ambient noise is getting picked up. But yeah, that's, that's rain just outside the cabin. And those are cars passing by. And uh, even though it's raining, I think I'm going to walk down to the beach. I've definitely been to the beach before in rain. So let's just hope it doesn't get too, too much harder. All right. So I am at the top of the ramp walking down from the road which is 126 route 126 and um, I've been checking in with a few of the lovely people the rangers here at Walden they're lovely people they can't um, actually volunteer their voices because they're not allowed to be spokespeople um, but one of the things I wanted to point out can you hear the cars um, when we actually get to the beach, you can't hear them because it's, it's weird. We're walking into the Kettle Pond area. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention, the ramp, it was designed for cars and like is a fire um, access accessibility thing. But the ramp is a very, very steep ramp. So if you are coming, I mean, like it's not, it's not too bad if you're walking, um, but if you are coming with a wheelchair, or a stroller or any other kind of um, accessibility aids. Just be aware of that. And also be aware that the rangers have wanted it to be remodeled and fixed for years. And everybody's sort of fighting, you know, to make things better. But Massachusetts has been very weird about making sure that um, everybody gets proper funding. So when you visit, try to be, try to err on the side of being kind especially to the rangers who do their best with the little that they have to work with in terms of monetary resources but they definitely have a lot of emotional resources <laughs> that uh we were, we were joking that like you get paid in sunsets all right so i'm here at the bottom of the ramp and there's a bunch of stairs in front of me there's a path to around, around the pond to my right and the beach is sort of on my left and the sand is in front of me and I'm looking out at the at the pond and there's a whole bunch of ice um to about like I can see the edge of it it's maybe I don't know 30 or 40 feet out and I can see a whole bunch of ducks um and I need to look closer because I've actually heard that there are like swans. Um, one of the rangers, I think, counted like 20 swans the other day. And swans don't usually hang out in a group like that. Usually they're only 
like in pairs or like two or three of them and they're very territorial so um also it has stopped raining but i do have an umbrella i'm one of those people it's like um i was just talking to one of the rangers and they said that she said that um congratulations on coming to walden on one of my favorite kinds of days because like a rainy day is also a beautiful time to be at walden um so yeah it looks like there are i want to say like eight ducks they're kind of far away they do seem white oh so one of them's flying it looks like it might be a canadian goose sorry to disappoint you Sorry to disappoint myself. Um, flying towards me. Let's see if we can identify it a little bit better. And it's a seagull. Ha <laughs> ha. All right. Okay, so we have seagulls. <laughs> we have Canadian geese and the seagulls hanging out in the, on the ice. Um, so when it is windy, you can hear the ice um, banging around. And here, I have an umbrella, so... It's kind of a little mushy. Um, in one of the one of the chapters that we're reading, we heard about how it um, it looks like a honeycomb, and there are bubbles in the ice. Um, this is not something that I would trust walking on. Some of it looks as if it's um, so. Okay, there I'm there I'm breaking through. Um, it kind of looks wet and mushy and there are puddles. Um, that poor, that poor seagull is walking around. I hope he doesn't get frozen in. Um, there are, like I said, there are swimmers that come here that will purposely break the ice so they can swim in the cold water. Good for them. I, uh, I, I swim across in the summertime and I generally stop in the middle of October. I think I mentioned, um, I don't think the other uh, ducks are um, seagulls. I think they are some kind of ducks. So I'm on the main beach right now. There is another single person walking around. Um, that's the only other person I've seen or that I can see on the beach. Um, this side of the pond didn't really exist as a beach when Henry was here. Um, Thorson says that he, it was just all rocks and stuff. Um, I was thinking the other day that Brister Freeman must have come to visit Walden. Um, but there is a, like the Thoreau Emerson Amble. When you cross Route 2, um, it's sort of the, it's now an accessible path that's not really maintained, but it's not, um, and it's not really paved, um, but it is a flat um, path that leads to the cabin. So... Brister Freeman probably accessed the pond that way. Although there's part of me that's like, you know, if you know anything about something called paths of desire, where, you know, there's the intentional road, the intentional path, and then there are the paths that people will just break through just because they want to. Um, so I'm sure there was like a path of desire where somebody, um, not necessarily Brister Freeman, but like anybody who's on the road who wants to go to Walden like the shortest distance between two points is straight line. So you're going to, they're going to bushwhack their way down to the water if they want, even if the, even if it was sloped and rocky, like they would, they would find a way. Um, and so I'm looking at the bathhouse, which is 
a lovely, very old structure. <laughs> and um, uh, again, like this is something that they've been wanting to rebuild for years and they haven't. But there are bathrooms there, so that's good. Further on the on the far side is, uh, or the far side of this beach is the boat ramp. So if you have a canoe or something, you can go there. Um, and like I said, nobody else is really here on the water. Can you hear the birds? Kind of off in the distance. Yeah. So. Uh, seagulls flying away so it wasn't frozen onto the onto the ice um, the shore is um, like looking around to the opposite side I feel like I see all these gray deciduous trees right just the skeletons like broken umbrellas like Sondheim would say um, and a lot of pine trees and uh, some trees which are keeping their leaves, but they're all brown and gray. So it's sort of, it's one of those very gray days. Um, and it's a little cold. Uh, and anyway, I just sort of wanted to give you a few moments of being on the actual shores of Walden Pond. Because most of the reading that I've been done has been from my nice warm house. Um, but I went for a nice, lovely walk, actually, um, if you access, um, I did this, I did the same walk last week, um, if you access Walden Woods from Sudbury Road, there's a, um, a landmark called Old Chimney, right, like I mentioned, um, so I did that walk again today, and then I sort of broke away from the rest of the group, and a friend and I went, and we discovered, uh, a relocated the racetrack, and I think I might have mentioned uh, Walden was sort of turned into a little amusement park in 1868. And um, there was a, uh, you know, Ice Fort Cove, which is like directly across the pond from where I am right now. Um, Ice Fort Cove had all these like tables of psychic mediums <laughs> and all sorts of like really funny people, funny things. Um, and on the other side of the railroad tracks, um, I can imagine there's all sorts of other things like a carousel and whatever. Um, but there's a little racetrack for dogs. It's like a quarter mile track. Um, go and visit it and you'll notice that it's very intentionally this ovoid shape. Um, and my friend and I also found like a teepee made out of um, uh, branches. Just sort of collected and sort of created like into a, a shelter. So we found it there. Um, I had also found two more structures like that in Brister's Woods. So I, I think somebody is living out here intentionally. And maybe it's just in the summertime or whatever. And um, maybe it was even a few years ago and things just haven't like um, fallen apart or nobody has taken them apart. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, I personally would not because I know that there are bears and wild animals and stuff out here. Um, but, you know, good for them, frankly. <laughs> I'm kind of on their side. I think that that's awesome. Um, and, you know, because uh, it, it's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't look like there's a fire nearby. They didn't leave anything inside. Um, it's just all these sticks sort of created, um, piled against each other into, like I said, like a teepee shape or like a triangle type shape. Um, in the woods where... 
you know, not enough people go anyway. So here they are enjoying, um, enjoying Walden Woods. All right. So we're on the beach. Can you hear the, yeah, the birds. I wanted to give you a little bit of sound like chickadees, I think. Can you hear the sound of the sand? That's me on the edge of my umbrella. Um, so yeah, come to Walden if you ever get a chance. Come in person. It's really beautiful here. Um, at all times of year. And um, it's just a really the lovely place for contemplation. And thank you very much for coming with me as I have contemplated, said all these things out loud. Um, the, there's a stone wall on the beach, on the right-hand side of the, of the beach. And I will tell you right now that that's my personal, when I was 14, with me and my mom and my friends, that's where we would camp out. That's where we would put all of our stuff. That was our prime, prime real estate. So whenever I look at this beach, that's what I think of. Um, this past year, I spent a lot of time on the secondary beach, which is Red Cross Beach. But I'm always, you know, to this day, I'm looking for my mother waving because she would see me. She would see me swimming across. She would stand up and do like a big, big wave. Wanted to make sure that I saw her. The same kind of wave that she did when she was sitting in the very back. When I uh, performed like first grade Christmas pageant or whatever, she stood on the chair and she waved. She's like, I'm here, I'm here. So that's what I, that's what I imagine I still see. I, I imagine I'm, when I'm swimming and I'm looking back at the shore that my mom is still here and I uh, I believe her spirit is still here as I believe Henry's is and you know and this is just a it's a magical place and it it's hard to put this pond into words um, the important thing is to just visit it and touch base with it and exist alongside of it so Thank you for existing alongside with me. Cheers. Take care.